for now, let's get on with the one main kind of piece of movie news today that that I wanted, or at least entertainment news, that I wanted to address. Now, you guys know one of my favorite shows on TV right now is The Boys. I mean, we are living in an incredible... If you like, like, superhero-based kind of stuff, with television right now, we've got some glorious stuff going on. We got Doom Patrol. We got Umbrella Academy. We got the Harley Quinn animated series, which, seriously, if you guys haven't checked it out yet, you got to check it out and give it a try. And we've got The Boys. And The Boys is currently airing right now, and I love this show. Not just because it's, like, gritty and R-rated and heavy, but beneath all the veneer... Of all the the flashy, you know, rated R kind of stuff is a very intelligent, very deep show that actually talks about some real issues, but done in kind of a parable sort of way. It's a brilliantly done show. I absolutely adore it. It's not for everybody because it is very graphic. It's very violent and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's for everybody. It's not for everybody, but it is absolutely incredible. It's absolutely fantastic. Well, in the midst of all this incredible, fantastic stuff that they've been doing, you know, they got season two and season two has been going great. They recently already announced that they've greenlit season three, which is fantastic. You know, we're going to get season three and we're going to get Supernatural's Jensen Ackles as the original superhero Soldier Boy is going to be in season three. I'm very much looking forward to that. But now comes news out of Variety that apparently Amazon has greenlit or is at least developing, I think they're getting close to green lighting, is developing a spinoff show of The Boys. And basically the spinoff show would revolve around a college specifically for superpowered individuals, also known in The Boys universe as soups, uh, which is kind of great. This is what comes to us from Variety. They write this about the, the proposed project itself. They write, the spinoff is set at America's only college exclusively for young adult superheroes or soups that is run by Vought International. It is described as an irreverent R-rated series that explores the lives of hormon hormonal uh, competitive soups as they put their physical, sexual, and moral boundaries to the test. Competing for the best contracts in the best cities, part college show, part hunger games, with all the heart, satire, and raunch of the boys. That sounds pretty good to me. That sounds pretty good to me. I I'll say that up front. That sounds great to me. And by the way, I wanted to point out one other thing. With the boys, there was some controversy surrounding the boys uh, this year because unlike last year where Amazon just dropped all the episodes at once, this year they did the much more intelligent thing by dropping the episodes week by week. And now we have proof that that was by far the more intelligent thing. As we've been getting numbers, it says viewership for the boys right now is up 89% over season one and that each episode's ratings are going up. What does that mean? What does that tell us? That tells us, as we get a little bit sidetracked here, that exactly what we thought would be the case is indeed the case. You know, if they had dropped the boys season two all at once, we would have talked about the show for a week and then we would be done talking about it. That's what happens with these shows. These shows that get dropped all at once, we get excited about them, we love them, we talk about them for a week, maybe two, and then we're done talking about them because everybody's seen it already. What we're seeing happen with the boys is that every week the viewership is going up. Why? 
because people see one episode and we buzz and we talk and we spread hype about it. So other people go, oh, maybe I should check it out. And then the next week, a new episode drops and we all talk about it and we buzz about it and we spread hype about it. And then new people go, oh, well, everybody's been talking about this for a few weeks. I'll check it out. And then they come on board. And that happens week after week after week. It is, listen, I admit we talk about this a lot. I am also a binger. I really do like binging content. I do. But if I'm a network exec, I'm doing week by week releases. There are far too many benefits to doing week by week releases. Anyway, that's a side thing. Let's talk about this boys spinoff taking place out of college. On the one hand, I got to say that I'm all for anything that gives me more boys. Anything that gives me more of the boys, I'm all down for. That's great. And this does sound very different. You know, they're taking place in a college. These would-be superheroes competing for the contracts of the best cities and all that kind of stuff. That sounds great. But I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I also have a major reservation about it. And my major reservation about it centers on, I don't know if the novelty, like, what are you going to give us in this show that isn't just what we're getting in The Boys? The basic premise of The Boys is brilliant. Superheroes can be assholes. And they're as messed up as everybody else. They are human beings, first and foremost, as flawed and as susceptible to all the vices that we as human beings have, except they have superpowers to go along with those vices. I get that. So what are we going to get that is fundamentally different in a spinoff? I'm not sure. Maybe the spinoff will be better than the original. It's possible. Maybe it'll be even better. Maybe it'll take everything they do, but take it in a totally different direction. And if they do, that's great. I'm just saying that my one little fear right now about such a show is just that it's just going to take all the same gimmicks of the original series and just repackage it on a college, you know, on, on a college, uh, in a college dorm. And that's what I'm worried about. Now, is that what's going to happen? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, I don't know. At the same time, that's the two sides of my brain. I'm worried that it's just going to be, you know, replaying the novelty of what The Boys is. But on the other side of my brain, I'm like, anything that gives us more of that world, I'm totally down for. So I don't know. It all depends on the approach they take. Who do they bring in to be the showrunner? What's the philosophy going to be? And what's their strategy going to be as far as, you know, what their approach is? What's their philosophy with the show? How are they going to develop their characters? Who are going to be our main lead characters? Do you make these characters compelling? Do we like these characters? Can we get attached to these characters, whether they're good guys or bad guys? I mean, there's going to be a lot up in the air, but that's where my, my mind is right now. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this announcement that Amazon is now developing a boys spinoff series taking place on a college campus, superhero high, or I don't know, it's going to be on college. It's not going to be a high school thing. What do you guys think about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down and out of the way, let's now go on and start taking your live questions. But before we get to those live questions, I want to make sure I remind you guys to do a couple of things. First things first, if you're not already subscribed to the John Campia YouTube channel, why don't you take a second, go on over and click that subscribe button, become a subscriber to the channel, keep you up to date on everything we've got going on here and all the videos we have coming and all that kind of stuff. But also don't forget, if you can't be in front of your computer to watch a YouTube video of the John Campia show, but you still 
want your John Campion show fix, we do have an audio only version of the podcast that you can get our podcast, go and sign up for it on any of your podcasting apps of choice. As you can see, we're one of the first podcasts to go up on Amazon music as well, but you can get us on iTunes or wherever, go and subscribe to the John Campion show podcast. So the audio only version is there when you need it. All right, guys. With that down, let's get in to the questions. And we need to start by getting caught up on some questions. And let me get uh, all set up here. I had myself set up earlier and then I lost my spot. Now we're ready and set to go. Okay, let's get over to it. And we're going to start things off here by going to Mr. TJ Lynn. And TJ Lynn writes the following. My birthday is coming this Saturday. Happy birthday to you, my friend. I'm close to 40 now. Any life advice uh, as to what life improvements I can make in general? Also, how does it feel when you realize you were getting close to 40? Honestly, when I was getting close to 40, it really wasn't a big deal. The big one to me, and maybe this speaks to my immaturity, the big birthday to me that I dreaded, that I dreaded and did not want was 20. I did not want to turn 20 because tw for whatever reason that really affected me because I was no longer a teenager. And I still remember like stressing about that. And it's like, I'm not a teenager anymore. Like, like, I, I don't know that that to me was the big major birthday. I will say this to you. You know, I had somebody in their seventies that I knew once back when I was living, I mean, they'd be in their eighties or nineties now, but uh, somebody who was in their seventies, right. Who had just gone back to school to learn a new skill that they've always wanted to learn. And this was a very successful person. This was a successful person, right? Didn't need to do that. But at 70, they and one of the things I remember they used to talk about was the fact, never stop trying to be better at the things you wanna be better at. I just thought that was a really cool phrase. Never stop trying to be better at the things you wanna be better at. And I just thought it was very cool that at like 70, he decided to go back and take some, some college courses to learn this other skill that he always wanted to really do. Never stop striving. You know, some people hit 30 and they think, well, I'm now in my life rut. Like what I'm doing now, that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm 30 now. That's so I, whatever it is I'm doing now. Guess what? At 30, I went back to school. I, I, that's the first time I went back to start looking at law was, was around when I was 30, 31, something like that. Um, so yeah, what, whatever age you're at, always keep finding your next goal and keep moving. Never, never drift, never drift and happy birthday, happy early birthday to you, Mr. TJ Lynn. I hope you have a good one. All right. Next up, uh, Damo Davies writes greetings from the UK. No pants Thursday has a whole new meaning over the pond as pants in Britain mean means underwear, not really. I didn't know that. So if I were to go over to the UK and say pants, people think I'm talking about uh, your underwear? Really? I didn't know that. That, that must sound, sound odd then when, uh, you know, Aaron gets on here and she says, welcome to no pants Thursday. That must carry a completely different meaning. I learned something new every day. Thanks for sharing that demo. Okay. Next up. An anonymous viewer writes, uh, I, uh, finally, 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 my local Regal theater is opening, albeit with limited new releases and some classics. I'm seeing an 8:30 PM showing this Saturday of the empire strikes back. Um, that was one. And I guess that's that. Okay. Well, anyway, that's excellent. Take advantage of that because honestly, I don't know how long those theaters are going to be open. I mean, that that is awesome that your local theater has opened back up and you get to go out there and see a great classic film, maybe a film that maybe you never got to see Empire Strikes Back on the big screen before. And that's great that you're going to get that opportunity. 
I would say that it is really important right now that we take advantage of those opportunities, because as we talked about on yesterday's show with those statements that came out from uh, the uh, the theater owners uh, organization, NATO, uh, it, it sounds like the theaters are going to be closing back down again because we got no big new movies coming without those big new movies. Theaters can't afford to stay open. I mean, they're going to lose money being closed. They're going to lose even more money if they're open and they can't draw people in so hey if you get that opportunity man go in and take advantage of it and hopefully this situation improves all right patrick conway writes do you think uh do you think disney should release some of mandalorian and wandavision in cinemas as a way to try to help out the theaters uh also uh guess we're not getting falcon and winter soldier till next summer with black widow's delay yeah i mean we talked about that the other day when they put out that 2020 sizzle reel everybody was talking oh did you see they included WandaVision, that means it's coming. To me, the bigger news was, did you notice they didn't have Falcon and Winter Soldier? And sure enough, it's been pushed into 2021. Um, I think it's not a bad idea. I mean, Game of Thrones played around with that, right? Game of Thrones, after it became really popular, they started doing like launching their series, like their season um, premieres in movie theaters. They would show a season premiere in a movie theater a little bit early before it would be on HBO. And they made some money off of that. It wasn't a bad move. So I think it's something Disney maybe should consider and not even because it would help out the theaters. I think it's something they should consider because it would just be free money. I think it would just be free money to them and say, hey, we're launching Mandalorian on October 30th, but for one weekend, we are going to show the first two episodes of Mandalorian on like, uh, I don't know, the weekend. If it's opening on the 30th, say on October 26th, a few days early for one weekend only, we're going to show the first two episodes of the new season of Mandalorian. Well, guess what? That's just free money. Like even if it only made $1 million, guess what? That's $1 million that they didn't have. I mean, it's just free money. It might, it wouldn't be a bad idea. It wouldn't be a bad idea. Because not just that it helps out the theaters, but it would be good for them as well. I, I, and I don't see any drawback. You're not going to lose subscribers over it. So you're going to keep your subscribers will still be happy. People, I mean, and it might actually entice more people to sign up for Disney+. Plus. I think it's a great idea, personally. All right, Patrick Conway writes, Finally got to watch Lucifer Season 5, Episode A with Aaron, who was great in it. She was great in it, wasn't she? Uh, and was... Uh, and that ending was, wow. Uh, I was a bit disappointed they didn't get Tim Obnisden, uh, um, I always mispronounce this, Um Mun's son uh, back as God because the God Johnson episode is uh, on my favorite list, but I get why they didn't. And Dennis Haysbert is awesome. Dennis Haysbert is great. I mean, he does have that. I remember when they first announced that he was going to come on the show and play God. And I'm like, that's a terrific casting because Dennis Haysbert carries that just parental authoritative presence that benel uh, like that just, what's the best way to put this that uh, that wasn't right um whatever he just kind of commands that's why he was so good as the president on 24 and just the when when he shows up i won't give away for those of you who haven't caught up yet when he shows up in lucifer as god it's perfect 
It's absolutely perfect. So I and yes, Aaron, it was great seeing Aaron on one of my favorite shows. Aaron, I didn't I can't believe she let you guys. She told me a few weeks ago, uh, she's been getting called into audition. There's a chance that Aaron could be in season three of The Boys. Uh, it's certainly not a done deal, but uh, I can tell you that now because she said it herself yesterday on the show. Um, it would be crazy if she did because now all of a sudden she'd be in like four of my favorite shows. Like I, I don't watch a ton of TV, right? But I love Blacklist. And then one day, I'm just, she didn't even tell me she was in Blacklist. One day I'm watching Blacklist and who's the, the main guest star that week? Aaron Cummings. I'm like, what? And I call Aaron. How come you didn't tell me you're in this? Um, one of my favorite shows is The Flash, and she popped up in The Flash. And then one of my absolute favorite shows on TV is Lucifer, and then she got the role in Lucifer. And now there's a chance she might get on The Boys, which would be pretty awesome if she does. All right. Next up. Uh, let's see. Um, do we get that one? Yes. Chris Cortezzi writes. Hey, John, big fan of the show going on two years now. Thank you so much, Chris, for being around for that long. Uh, I always throw on uh, the show when I get home from work and make dinner. My question is, over or under 20%, there is a dream sequence in Black Widow where Natasha sees herself die and is confused. Thanks. Um, I'm going to go under 20%. Like, Natasha, she doesn't have any superpowers, right? Black Widow doesn't have foresight she doesn't she doesn't have some mystical powers where she can see the future so i'm gonna go under 20 percent now that's not to say that some being comes to her and lets her know she's going to be required to make a big sacrifice in the future like something like that but inherently within black widow she has no powers like that that she could literally see the future of her own i so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go under 20 percent. it's the mcu so they could do anything and I'm not going to say it's zero, but I will take the under 20% on that, Chris. All right. Uh, Chris also writes, John, screw the Emmys. I'm watching that show the other night and in the in-memoriam comes on and no Kobe Bryant, no Kelly Preston and no Nick Cordero. They suck. Um, on, listen, I, I'm not an Emmy guy. You know, I'm an Oscar guy. I, I prefer Oscars. I quite often don't watch the Emmys. I will pay attention to what the results were maybe later, but I generally don't watch the Emmys. I'm not that invested in the Emmys, so I am not an Emmy guy. But in the Emmys defense, why would Kobe Bryant be in the in memoriam at the Emmys? Why would Kelly Preston be, who is primarily a movie star, why would Kelly Preston be in the in memoriam um, at the Emmys? Uh, and Nick Cordero, who's a very, very good friend, uh, and uh, and Aaron and uh, her husband Tom are, are very good friends with uh, his wife, and and they were with him. Um, but he was primarily a Broadway guy. He had appeared on television. He had appeared on television, but he was primarily a Broadway guy. So, to, in in the Emmys defense, and I'm not an Emmy guy, but the in memoriam of the Emmys is is meant to. You know, and by the way, they don't have 45 minutes that they can do in memoriam. Like they, they can only show so many, but that's really dedicated to people who were powerful influences in the television industry, whether they were powerful television writers, powerful uh, influential performers, whatever. That's really who that is reserved for. Uh, Kobe Bryant, although sports are broadcast on TV, 
Kobe wasn't a now at the Oscars is one thing. Kobe was one of theirs. He had he was an Academy Award winner. Like Kobe has an Oscar. So you put him in the in memoriam. I don't know why you would have put Kobe in um in the in memoriam there. I don't know why they would have put Nick and I I don't know why they they would have put Kelly Preston in there who is primarily primarily a, a movie personality. So uh, again, I'm no Emmy defender. But I'm just saying in its defense I'm, I don't think you can make a solid argument as to why those three would have been included in that. That's no disrespect to them. It's just that the Emmys is very specifically about the television industry. And um, so I get it. I, I, I do. I get it on that level. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, man. All right. Next up, Ryan Loner writes. Well, it's official. Trent Reznor is just a Tony way. Somebody else mentioned that the other day from an EGOT. Uh, he'll probably never come near one. But hey, rock operas are a thing. I mean, no, they are. I mean, if he's only a Tony away, I mean, not not like a Tony is an easy thing to win by any stretch of the imagination. And by the way, just for those of you who don't know, an EGOT is winning an individual who wins an Emmy for the E, a Grammy for the G, an Oscar for the O, and a Tony for the T. Um, it's a very, very rare thing to do to win an EGOT, to, to hit for the cycle, if you will. Uh, but yeah, he's getting close. He is getting close. All right, next up. Star Wars rocks rights. Uh, don't you think that Netflix is being a bit hypocritical by canceling a show that everybody likes in the form of the dark crystal uh, and keeping a ch chili porn, a chili porn, uh, a chili porn movie on their service in the form of cuties? Well, I mean, look, there's two things. Number one, uh, I talked to I, I talked to two friends of mine specifically like I've read from a number of people that I know who saw the movie and they said. There is nothing wrong with this movie. Audiences saw this movie at film festivals. Nobody ever said there was anything wrong with the movie. And I finally had a chance this past week to talk to two separate individuals I know who have seen the film and they're all like, yeah, there's nothing wrong in the movie. Um, now, and the only time, the only people who are really complaining about the movie are people who haven't seen the movie, right? And this is all Netflix's own fault because Netflix put out that idiotic, stupid, whoever greenlit it should have lost their jobs poster that they put up that was not reflective of the movie in the least. So uh, I haven't seen it myself. I haven't seen it myself still because it was never a movie I was going to watch, but I haven't seen it myself, but I've talked to a couple of, you know, pretty solid people who said, no, there's nothing like that. But here's the thing to me. Let me see if I can bring this up here because somebody... Let me just grab this and bring it on here because this, I think, is something. You know what I find absolutely hilarious? Let me, of course, I gotta find this. There it is. Hold on a second. Because I was in this, I was in this uh, chat string a while ago and somebody mentioned this. So I, let me bring this up. Hold on a second. Okay, here we go. What I find absolutely hilarious, I mean, hilarious, is... We see all these people talking about this movie, Cuties, who, and I'm only going off of people who have actually seen the movie and said, no, 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 none of that stuff that everybody's upset about is even in the movie. None of that's in the movie. That's not what this movie is at all. Like everybody who has seen the movie is saying that everybody who hasn't seen the movie. And I'm one of those. I'm one of the people who haven't seen it. But it seems like most people who haven't seen it are, are the ones calling it all these stupid things. And yet... Here's the thing that I find hilarious. And somebody, a friend of mine pointed this out. I, I can't take credit for this. And yet, I find a lot of these same Americans who are complaining about this movie that they've never seen 
are all for and we have this big child beauty pageant industry in America. In America, there's this huge and it's usually from these, you know, you know, Bible Belt kind of areas and all this kind of stuff like, oh, no, America's oh, we have no problem with this garbage like this absolute utter complete trash that they make children do. Oh, no problem here. America is the home of these child beauty pageants. And it's these same people that put on this disgusting shit that are complaining about a movie they've never seen. Complaining about a movie they've never seen. And again, I, I've always got to throw in the highlight. I can't speak with any big authority to it because I haven't seen it myself. I haven't seen it myself. Um, so, yeah. I haven't seen the movie myself. So, I, I can't I mean, for all I know, to be objective, to, for all I know, maybe if I watched the movie, I'd be more outraged than anybody else. Maybe. But I haven't seen it. Because from the day I heard about the movie which was long before the controversy, I thought, yeah, that's not a movie I'm interested in. So I still haven't seen it myself. Anyway, uh, I just thought that was kind of interesting. All right, let's move on here. Uh, next up, Evan Ryan writes, Hey, John, to answer yesterday's question of which is the greatest cast of all time, easy, mine would be The Great Escape. The Great Escape is great. Um, they also mentioned a, a bunch, um, uh, they mentioned a number of the other movies as well. Again, to me, it comes down when we talk about the greatest cast to me, it's not about um, it's not about the which movie just got a big collection of great names, right? For instance, look at Batman and Robin, right? There's a lot of big names in that movie, but it was that a great cast performance? Probably not. And I keep coming back to Lord of the Rings. Are those the biggest? I mean, yeah, Ian McKellen's a big name. Viggo Mortensen's a big name now, but Viggo Mortensen was not a big name when Lord of the Rings came out. He wasn't. But it was just such a perfectly, it's a perfect placement of individual puzzle pieces of cast that, that casting directors and Peter Jackson himself just figured out these pieces will fit together perfectly. And the on-camera dynamic, the on-screen chemistry of the way all this cat, this huge ensemble cast played into it. Another great example actually is a very recent film in Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. Knives Out. Now, Knives Out is a little bit different because it is loaded with big names. Chris Evans, um, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Don Johnson, uh, Daniel Craig, on and on. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield, on and on and on. It's just, it's just a lot of big names. But it's also another example like, like an unto um, uh, Lord of the Rings, where everybody played Michael Shannon, everybody played off each other so perfectly, um, that it was just, uh, just a joy to watch. So when I think of greatest cast, that's where my head goes. It doesn't go to just the, the collection of whoever the biggest names are, because then you're talking about Ocean's Eleven or whatever, but it's really the perfect fitting of individual pieces to make the perfect picture. And to me, that's, that's where, that's where it uh, goes to anyway, but the great escape is a great example. All right. Minnesota hockey fan. Uh, I remember I used to be a Minnesota hockey fan back when the days when they were the North stars back in the days of Dino Cicerelli. Yep. I used to watch them all the way back then when I was a little kid as someone who was a transplant to California, I moved here over five years ago. 
What was your first movie you saw when you moved to California? Mine was straight out of Compton. I think, I think, um, I think it was, what was the name of the actor? Um, hold on a second. Uh, what was the name of the actor who played McDreamy? Um, in, in, uh, what's that hospital show? You guys know who I'm talking about. What's the name of the actor who played McDreamy? Uh, I've, I've never, what's his name? I can't remember. Patrick Dempsey. Thank you, Darren J. Seeley. Patrick Dempsey. Hold on a second. I'm going to try to find this. Um, going to try to find this. Here, here it is. Okay. Patrick Dempsey. It was a Patrick Dempsey movie. I believe I, I had a friend here named Sharon. And she took me to see this movie and it was called, hold on a second, let me see if I can find it. It's about, he was going to be like in his girlfriend's wedding party and I'm trying to remember the name of it. Do you have any of you guys put it in there? In the Maid of Honor, that's it. Somebody, who threw that in there? Joseph, Joseph put that in the live chat. Hold on a second, Maid of Honor. Yeah, that was it. That was it. There's the movie. Let me let me bring it up here. Maid of Honor. That was um it was kind of a little bit like my best friend's wedding, but Maid of Honor. That was I be I believe I could be wrong, but I think that was the first time when I was in LA that's that a friend of mine took me to go see. Now this is before I met Anne. But a friend of mine, uh Sharon, took me to the movies. I believe she took me to the Arclight Cinemas in Hollywood. And I believe that was the first movie I ever saw in LA. There might have been one other one. There might have been one before that. I could be mistaken, but I think that was it. I think that was the first one I ever saw. And that was in 2008. So uh, yeah, there it goes. I think that was my first one that I saw in LA. Thank you, everybody in the live chat for uh, throwing those, uh, those names at me. Anyway. Okay. Next up. The game is afoot, writes... I watched Enola Holmes and had a blast. Nine out of 10 for me. Millie Bobby Brown was a star in the making uh, in Stranger Things, and now she is one. She might win awards for this. Great production values, score and acting. Henry as the young detective was good too. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I'm so glad you liked it. I thought it was oppressively boring. I did not enjoy watching Enola Holmes. I, I found very little good about it, to be honest with you. But that's the beauty of film. It's all subjective. Um, I will say this, though, because the director of Enola Holmes is saying they'd like to do like four or five sequels to it. I will say this. While I found Enola Holmes unrelentingly boring and, and just made no sense whatsoever, uh, that's just me. A couple things I will say for it. I think, do I think Millie Bobby Brown should win awards for this? No. But was she really good in it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 she was. I think this is what, you couldn't really tell in Godzilla King of the Monsters uh, whether she could be anything more than that girl from Stranger Things. I think Enola Holmes, despite the fact that it is an unrelentingly boring thing, uh, but that's just my opinion, I think Enola Holmes shows that she is going to be much more than that girl from Stranger Things. I think this shows she's got that potential. She really does. And, and I agree. She was quite good in it. I will say, though, 
the moments of this of Enola Holmes that I found myself legitimately enjoying watching was when Enola and in actually either Sherlock played by Henry Cavill uh, and uh, Mycroft played by, I believe it's Sam Cafflin who played Mycroft Holmes. Whenever the family is together, I found myself really enjoying Like there's this scene without spoiling it. There's a scene where her and Mycroft are in a carriage, right? And I just, just seeing the differences of dynamics between her and her oldest brother, Mycroft, and then the dynamics between her and her other older brother, Sherlock, I, I just found that stuff was great. The highlights of the movie for me, though, were in general in those very, very few scenes that we had Enola and Sherlock together. I mean, everything with, I like anything with Henry Cavill. I mean, he's my bromance for sure, but everything with Henry Cavill is great. But the moments that Sherlock really shined for me was when it was him and Enola, when it was Enola and Sherlock. And there was very, there couldn't have been more than five minutes of screen time that the two of them shared the screen together. But when they were on screen together, I loved the chemistry between those two characters. I love that sibling bond uh, that they had, that they really hadn't had their whole lives, but they instantly, those that sibling bond instantly clicked with them and it worked. And even the kind of, you know, um, uh, adversarial one that she has with Mycroft, I even enjoyed that. But if they move forward with more of these things and they incorporate, I mean, keep it in Nola Holmes, don't make it about Sherlock, but if you can incorporate Sherlock and her and Mycroft into it a little bit more and have them sharing more screen time together, you could get me on board. You can get me on board because I thought that element worked really well. Um, almost everything else was terrible. I, I like the performances in general. I wasn't sold on the kid that was kind of her love interest. I got sorry. Sorry. I didn't think that kid was very good. And I, I don't want to beat down on a kid. Uh, and he's far better of an actor than I would ever be, but I I didn't like the kid. I, I didn't like, uh, yeah, I mean, Mycroft and the stuff with the mom was stupid. The stuff with the mother was stupid, but anyway, that's just me, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. And by the way, more people agree with you than agree with me. I mean, I mean, look, it's had like high eighties, I think on the Rotten Tomatoes thing. So far more people agree with you than agree with me. So don't let the fact that I didn't like it dissuade you or bother you at all because I am firmly in the minority on uh, on Enola Holmes. Anyway, that's just my take. All right, Shadow Jester writes, uh, John and Aaron, Aaron, who's not here today, we've talked about putting Black Widow in theaters so Disney can make their money, but isn't it short-sighted to hold it and risking theaters shutting down for good? Uh, isn't it better to take, 200, to take 250 million now than risk nothing later if theaters shut down? Uh, bring on the filthy. I mean, see, that's the thing, Shadow Jester. Like, there's a part of me that absolutely agrees with you on that. There is a part of me that absolutely agrees with you on that. The problem is, even though in theory, I agree with you, the fact is, in practical terms, there is no way of knowing if that's how it would play out because we've never had a situation like this before. Like, quite often... 
almost 100% of the time, when we have a question or an issue coming up about a particular movie or something that a studio may do or something that a theater may do, we can look at history and see different times that situations like that played out and how they played out and does that equate, is that an apples to apples comparison to what's going on now and blah, 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 blah. But the reality is this situation that we're in right now, this context that we're in right now is un, and here's the word, I use it again, I, I use it all the time, is unprecedented. This is a situation that nobody can plan for. This is a scenario that nobody has any playbook. Nobody has any uh, precedent to work off of. Nobody has anything to say, oh, this is how it was handled by, by before by so-and-so. We can try to apply that now. Because maybe it takes a $250 million blow, but maybe it takes a $400 million blow. Maybe waiting is the best thing in the world. Maybe the best thing is for the theaters just to shut back down again, hibernate, wait till the, the situation is more palatable, and then come out of the cocoon, and then launch the... I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's the best approach. Again, all in pure, blissful consequence-free theory, I agree with you. But I can't say that would actually be the right thing to do because I got nothing to base that on. Maybe this is the best way. I mean, it just highlights again, Shadow Jester, that uh, this is a, a tricky situation that everybody's trying to navigate and figure out and, and we'll see where it goes from there. All right, next up, we've got an anonymous viewer who writes, uh, in my opinion, they should have uh, they should have had Ray Fisher play Green Lantern slash John Stewart. How can you have a damn Justice League movie without Green Lantern? Well, they did. <laughs> and listen, by the way, um, they also did a Justice League movie without Hawkman. They did a Justice League movie without a lot of characters, without Martian Manthunder. Uh, they did. And guess what? Whatever problems you may think that Justice League has, the absence of Green Lantern wasn't one of the problems, Right. Just like whether you loved Justice League or hated Justice League, Green Lantern being in there wouldn't have made it any better. It wouldn't have made it any worse either, I don't think, but it wouldn't have made it any better. I think, I personally think the addition of, and who knows whether Ray Fisher would have been a good pick to play Jon Stewart or not, but I think the, from what I've heard, the decision to include Cyborg was a decision pretty much based on we needed at least one of the new generation characters. You know, when you're looking at Aquaman and you're looking at Flash and you're looking at Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, you're talking a lot of OG characters. I think they really did want to have at least one character in Justice League that was a newer generation character. Now, whether or not that was the right decision or not, I don't know. But that was kind of their thinking on that. But yeah, again, I like Green Lantern, but I, I don't think that having Green Lantern in there would have made one iota of difference in the movie, to be honest with you. But that's just me. All right. Jared writes, hey, John, is it is it not possible for Tenet to stay in theaters until things get normal again? Or if theaters close again, re-release when the theaters reopen? Wouldn't that allow for the potential of actually making their money back? Oh, no, yeah. Listen, we've talked about that. Every time Tenet comes up, we do point out the fact that, listen, Tenet, like it's, it's, it's closing in on 300 million now. The fact is, it's really the only game in town. Really, as far as big movies go, if you want to go to the movies, you're going to go see Tenet, right? For the most part. Um, 
I mean, there's other smaller films like Words on Bathroom Walls and, and things like that. But really, the movies that are going to attract people to the theater right now, there's only one. It's Tenet. And it's got everything to itself. And so, yes, there is it is theoretically possible that it just stays in theaters, whichever theaters remain open, and just slowly, bit by bit, you know, it, it crossed 200 million. And then before you knew it, it crossed 250 million. And then fairly soon, not yet, but fairly soon, it'll cross 300 million. And then if it just keeps going, maybe a few weeks after that, it crosses 350 million. And then if there's still nothing else in theaters and there are theaters still open, people still going back. I mean, yeah, the pure longevity of it may get tenant to the point that it breaks even. I think that's highly unlikely, but it will make more money. It'll continue to make more money the longer it's out there. And it'll continue to make more money the longer it's out there without any other legitimate competition. So how high will that number go? I don't know. Will it go up to 400 million? Will it go up to 500 million? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's very unlikely it gets to the break even mark, but I think Warner Brothers understood when they released it right now that, hey, we are just accepting we're not going to break even on this, but we feel it's important to get a big tentpole movie like Tenant out there. We feel it's important to get it out even if it means we're not going to break even. So I think the possibility of them breaking even is unlikely, but you're right, possible. Possible. It is possible. All right, let's see here. What's next? Andrew Nathan writes, Hey, John, do you think that Supergirl getting canceled is because WB plans to bring her to the big screen in a potential Man of Steel 2? No, absolutely not. The amount of people that watch Supergirl, whose ratings had been dipping more and more and more, um, it just wouldn't be an attraction. It just wouldn't be an attraction. Like, I, this is the same reason. Like, one of the CW shows that I love, Supernatural, right? I love Supernatural. You guys hear me talk about Supernatural all the time. I love that show. Do I think they should make that into a movie? Oh, hell no. Because even if every single person, which wouldn't happen, but even if every single person who watches Supernatural dropped 10 bucks to go see it in the theater, it still wouldn't make money. I mean, that's the reality of how small the numbers are on CW. CW doesn't make, doesn't generate big numbers. That's why they try to keep their budgets fairly low and they get modest audiences and it's, that's good enough for them. That works for them. But the reality is nowhere near enough people watch this Supergirl. And if they don't watch this Supergirl for free on TV, why would people pay money? It's, it, and again, Take this with a grain of salt that I'm saying this exact same thing about a show that I love. You know I don't like this Supergirl show, but I'm saying the exact same thing about that show as I am about a show that I love, which is Supernatural. You know, if if not enough people, if only so many people watch it on TV, what makes you think even more of them when they could watch it for free on TV and don't? would go, you know what? I don't watch that for free on TV, but I'll spend 10 bucks to go watch it in theater. I I don't, that that's just not logic that works. Is it possible? Of course it's possible. I can't sit here and say with 100% definitive thing that it's impossible. Nope. We've seen stranger things happen, but I think it's very unlikely because if people don't want to watch that show when it's free on TV, why would they want to watch an iteration of that show in the movie theater where they have to go and pay for it so, no, I don't think that was part of the logic at all. Not impossible, though. Not impossible. 
But if I had to put five bucks on it, no, that's not what they're doing. It just doesn't make any logical sense. There's there's no there's no common sense to that for, for that to be the case. So I, I would I would be surprised. I'll be surprised if that's what happens. So that's that's what I'll say on that. All right. Joel writes, I just watched Enola Holmes and Millie Bobby Brown was fantastic in it, in my opinion. It was hard to tell how good she was from Stranger Things because she didn't speak very much in the show. Uh, but this movie really shows her range as an actress. Again, I don't think she was fantastic. Like, oh, my God, start the Oscar buzz. Although this year there's really no competition. But but I agree this. I mean, it was it was almost impossible to tell anything more from Godzilla King of the Monsters. There really wasn't a lot for her to do in Godzilla King of the Monsters. So you really couldn't tell what her limitations were in Enola Holmes. Despite it being a stupidly boring film. I'll just keep saying it. I think one of the big highlights is the fact that it showed that Millie Bobby Brown is legit. She's legit. She's not just, again, like I said before, she's not just that girl from Stranger Things. We couldn't tell in Godzilla King of the Monsters, but in Enola Holmes, you could tell. She can whip up the energy. She can whip up the charisma. She can get on screen and hold her own on the screen. And including holding her own on the screen when she's on screen with an actor of the caliber of a Sam Kathleen, who's a very good actor, and hold her own with an actor of the caliber of Henry Cavill, who you know what I think. I think Henry Cavill is a terrific actor. She's legit. And I am very now very interested to see, to watch her career. You know, like Palpatine to Anakin at the end of the, the Phantom Menace. We will watch her career with great interest. And I think we will. We will watch her career at this point with great interest because she showed us that, uh, yeah, yeah, she's for real, man. She, I, I didn't like the movie, but she's for real. She really is. So that was cool to see. All right. Next up, Darth Rootsky writes, hey, JC, love your show. Thank you so much, Rootsky. I'm so excited. Today I'm seeing Akira in the full glory of my local theater. That's cool. I don't know that I've ever maybe. Oh, maybe I'm lying. Wait a minute. I don't think I've ever seen Akira on the big screen, but that might not be true. Anyway, uh, in the full glory of my local theater, uh, the tickets were more expensive. I'm I'm happy uh, to pay it if it helps my local theater going. Do you think this type of thing will be enough? Thanks, dude. I do not think it's enough. Unfortunately, see, I when they were building up, when the movie theaters were building up to Tenant coming out, was the idea of releasing Empire Strikes Back and Back to the Future and Lord of the Rings and Godfather and a lot of these classic catalog films, was that a good idea in the weeks leading up to when the big movies were supposed to come? Yes, absolutely. It gives us an opportunity to see these great classics on the big screen again. And it starts to get the wheels in motion of getting people used to going back to theaters. Let's word and awareness get out that the theaters are open again. It was a great idea. But can that sustain the movie theater business? Can it sustain the movie theater business for the next six months? No. No, it can't. Um, I'd be thrilled to be wrong about that, but I don't think that's enough to do it. It's a great little thing to do now and again. It's a great thing to build up to the movies coming back for a few weeks, but can that sustain a multi-million dollar complex with the bills and expenses that all of it brings to run it and operate it and all that kind of stuff? Will those movies bring in enough revenue to do that? I honestly don't think so. 
But that that's why I'm saying, like, if you've got an opportunity like that right now, take advantage of it, my, my man. Take advantage of it. Absolutely. All right. Uh, uh, Behurs Heru Ave. I am totally butchering that name, dude, and I apologize. I'm terrible with names. Um, hi, John. Regarding Lulu Wang's concerns, I take huge issue to what she said. I know she means well, but like you said, that makes everything resegregated. I am, uh, I am an uh, architect from New York City. Very cool. That means you're smarter than me. Uh, does that mean I can only strictly design in the state of New York? Smack my head. Yeah, listen, and again, I get and respect where Lulu Wang was coming from. I do because we have a movie like in one sense, you have a film industry that has had a century long agenda of exclusion, right? A very aggressive, active agenda of exclusion of keeping people out. And now we're seeing the processes started of trying to tear that agenda down and to let more people in. An argument can rightfully be made. You know, a great way to start chipping away at that old agenda is, hey, when you got a big highlight female-led movie, let a woman direct it. We've got great, talented female directors. Let a woman direct it. Get it. we got a movie like Black Panther coming along. Get a, a magnificent Oscar-caliber kind of director in Ryan Coogler to come in and direct it or, or others like that. It's a great opportunity to do that. It's an opportunity to do that. We got a movie like The Farewell, which she made herself, which is still, if you guys haven't seen The Farewell, see The Farewell. It's amazing. That's Lulu Wang's movie. Or Crazy Rich Asians or whatever. Use those as opportunities to crack the door open to allow all this wealth of talent to get their opportunities that this century-long agenda of exclusion has kept them from getting these opportunities before. I agree with that, but I don't believe it should become a rule. I don't believe the answer to ending the agenda of exclusion is by introducing in a new mini agenda of exclusion. I don't believe that while we can't, we absolutely take advantage of those opportunities to use those films to bring in new talent, new filmmakers who have never been given the opportunity before because of this agenda of exclusion. Yes, but that doesn't, that shouldn't suggest that that means, well, if there's a movie about a Chinese pianist, a white dude from the United States should not be allowed to direct it. I don't believe in that because again, my, one of my, I believe that's counterproductive. I believe that's counterproductive and moving towards getting rid of that century old agenda. It doesn't help the cause. Because what will what ultimately will happen is and I said this before and I stand by this. These insecure snowflakes who like these completely insecure males who think that, you know, like, like I said before. Uh there's a great saying out there that says to people in a position of privilege, equality looks like oppression. To people in positions of privilege, equality looks like oppression. Do you want proof of that? The MCU put out 20 movies, give or take one or two. The MCU put out 20 straight movies with white male leads. 20 in a row, 20 plus or minus in a row. The moment they put out one that was a female lead in uh, Captain Marvel, and one with a black lead in Black Panther, 
You want proof about how insecure these people are? Oh, agenda! SJW! Oh my God, the sky is falling! Yeah, what will we do? They're coming for the white man! Oh, and they trembled and they pissed their pants and they defecated themselves and they got together in their little hate groups. It's like, they did 20 in a row, dudes. 20 in a row of straight white. Like, really? They did one female-led and one black one, and you are losing your shit to people in positions of privilege. The, the, the slightest appearance of equality looks to them like oppression. And if you don't believe that, just look at that shit that we've been seeing. But the problem is you don't solve exclusion and I said it before, but I'll say it again. You don't solve exclusion by introducing new senses of exclusion. Yes, take these opportunities, but don't say that. There's a rule, though. No Chinese guy can direct a movie about, I don't know, if they make a movie about Michael Jordan, Chinese guy can't direct that movie. You making a movie about a Chinese penis? No, no, no white guy can, can direct that. Because if you do that, what you do is you give ammunition to these knuckle draggers. To say, huh, well, huh, why is that black guy being allowed to direct this movie about uh, that's got Ryan Gosling in the lead? Huh? They don't let white directors direct movies with Denzel Washington in it. And by the way, many of Denzel's films have been directed by white directors, obviously. But I'm just saying, you know, but if, if we start that thing of exclusion, then what you're doing is you're giving ammunition to the knuckle draggers to say, whoa, hey, then okay, if only Chinese guys and Chinese people can direct movies about Chinese characters and only uh, gay directors can direct movies about gay characters and only blah, blah, blah. And that, that if that's the case, then only white directors should be allowed to direct movies with white leads. And that obviously is counterproductive. And so... Do I believe it's a good guideline? Sure. Do I believe it should become a, an exclusive rule? I don't think so. I don't think that's productive. And again, I go back to the original analogy I made. Look at Ang Lee. Ang Lee, born and raised in Taiwan. What the hell, you could say, does this Asian director born and raised in Taiwan know about gay American cowboys? Nothing. But... He's a master storyteller, so he made Brokeback Mountain, one of the most talked about films ever, nominated for Best Picture of the Academy Awards, won him a Best Directing Academy Award. Should Ang Lee have not directed Brokeback Mountain? Of course he should have. And he was great at it. Even though you can make the argument, what the hell does, a, does an Asian a dude, born in, an Asian straight dude, born and raised in Taiwan, what the hell does he know about gay American cowboys? He's a great storyteller. He knows how to tell a story and let him do it. And the art of filmmaking was better for it because he did it. So anyway, uh, I've gone on and on about that so much. Let me uh, uh, let us continue, shall we? So I, I see what you're saying. Now. But but remember, Lulu Wang, don't get angry at Lulu Wang. Uh, oh, and JBKB24 just uh, sent in a, a little tag super chat on the uh, in the live chat. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate that, dude. Um, don't get angry at Lulu Wang. Like, remember, Lulu Wang, look at the, the big picture. Lulu Wang is herself an Asian filmmaker who, who is also a female Asian filmmaker who has been on the brunt end of that agenda of exclusion for a long time, fighting and scratching to get those opportunities. You know, so you you gotta you can believe you can take a position, but still be have empathy towards the position that somebody like a Lulu Wang is taking. So I get it, because I'm not in her position, man. 
I'm not in her position. I get why she, she might look at that and be frustrated. But anyway, there's that. Okay, next up. Tony Rodriguez writes, uh, this might be a duplicate, but I just wanted to pass uh, on to Rob that free enterprise is on Tubi so he can so he can stop say so he can stop say find it on YouTube. Uh, I would have sent it to him, uh, but I've sent five different times. Um, I've sent five different times already and he never seems to read mine i watch him every day too remember sometimes doing these live shows you get a lot of stuff and by the way and uh, michelle alexandria uh, just sent in a, a super chat badge as well thank you michelle um you remember people who do shows like these we get a lot of messages we get a lot of messages and we can't get to all of them i mean that's just the reality of it so don't be upset about rob but yes rob's film free enterprise which by the way we feature, forgive the noise in the background, guys. It's getting a little bit warm in here. I'm going to turn on the AC. Uh, we feature Rob's movie, Free Enterprise, a little bit in my movie, in my documentary, uh, Movie Trailers, A Love Story, uh, which will be coming out uh, before the end of the year. We're going to have it out before the end of the year, so keep your eyes open for that. Uh, but yeah, if you get a chance to watch, it's the movie he did with, I keep, I keep forgetting the name of the lead actor from Will and Grace, but it's got that dude. It's got William Shatner. You should check it out if you get a chance. All right. Uh, thanks for that, Tony. All right. Desmond writes, so you want to tell us about that email you mentioned to Aaron regarding Justice League? Um, I've got it right here. So I got this I got this email. Hold on a second. Let me, let me just tease you with for a second. Hold on a second. Okay, there it is. I got this email regarding um, how do I put this? I got this email regarding Justice League and the, the shooting of Justice League. And it's it's a little bit it's eye-opening. Oh, I didn't mean to bring it up there. It's a little bit eye-opening. And now, you guys know that I have developed a tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theory about the whole Warner Brothers versus Ray Fisher drama that's going on. I have come to believe, not that I know that it's true, I don't, I, I've just come to believe that this is all being fabricated by Warner Brothers, that Warner Brothers is behind all this, that Warner Brothers and Ray Fisher and Jason Momoa, they're all in on this together and they're all making up this drama of Warner Brothers versus Ray Fisher just to get everybody talking, to create, get everybody to choose a side and everybody's invested in it now. I've kind of come to believe that. Again, I have no proof of that and I do not know that to be true. It's just kind of what I've come to believe seeing what I've been seeing. I got an email the other day I've shared it with Rob and I, cause I shared it with Rob and I was talking to him the other night because I don't know if I should release this publicly because there are going to be a lot of people that don't like what's in it. And, and let me just say, first of all, this email completely contradicts my, my tinfoil hat wearing theory. This email does not support my theory at all. It actually completely disproves my theory. <laughs> this, this particular email, it totally tears my theory apart. But I don't know that I want to share. And I, I talked with Rob about it because I showed him the email. And because uh, it, it could be a hornet's nest. And it's... 
I mean, listen, if I wanted something to get some quick, easy clicks on my on my channel, oh my God, I could just release this email. And whether people loved what's in the email or absolutely hated what's in this email, oh my God, I would get tons of views. I would get tons of views. But even though it is from somebody connected to the Justice League production, and even though I find it fascinating, um, if for whatever reason it turned out to be untrue, oh God, I would look so dumb. Listen, I go back about 10 years ago. I go back about 10 years ago. I got what I thought was very, very reliable information that Adrian Brody, the Academy Award winning actor from uh, The Pianist and stuff like that, I got very reliable information, this is over 10 years ago now, that Adrian Brody was going to be Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. I got what I thought was pretty good information that Adrian Brody was going to be Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. And so at the time I was doing my website called The Movie Blog. So I get on The Movie Blog and I release that information. I say, guys, take a bank. I have found out that Adrian Brody is going to be Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. Remember back when Edgar Wright was going to be directing Ant-Man? And what happened was Edgar Wright <laughs> came out like two days later, say, um, that's cool. No, he's not. And I, and I ended up looking really dumb. And I have ever since that happened... I've been so trigger shy about sharing information that I get. And I, I, it just made me vow to stay out of the scoop business. It made me vow to stay out of the scoop business. Uh, because not only was I embarrassed that I told people something was true and it turned out not to be true. I also felt terrible that I was the cause of spreading misinformation. Like, I love the fan community. And me getting that wrong meant I caused confusion and caused misinformation to run amok in the fan community. I got a lot of views and a lot of hits on my article that uh, Adrian Brody was going to be Ant-Man. But that doesn't matter. The fact is, I caused misinformation and confusion in the, in the fan community. And, and, I and, and I got embarrassed. And at that point, I kind of vowed to myself, I am staying out of the scoop business. And that's why over the past 10 years, maybe 11 years that I've been doing this sort of thing, maybe on three more occasions, over 11 years, have I shared something that I knew was not yet public knowledge. Maybe four times, maybe four times that I knew was not yet public information. And I had to be damn sure about it before I did. So, you know, when the Ben Affleck thing came up and I had it verified by three separate sources, I, I announced the Ben Affleck thing. The Ben Affleck wasn't Batman anymore. Now, it took almost two years for Warner Brothers to come out and come clean about it. And they pretended for two years like he was still going to be Batman. But, you know, there was that. So I try not to get into it. And now I'm sit I've got this email. And... Um, and I, I really don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with it. Because, number one, it blows up my theory. <laughs> it totally annihilates my theory that this is all just a Warner Brothers 
uh, collusion totally destroys my theory. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's also damaging. And I, uh, to a number of people and, and if it's wrong, I would hate to be the source of origin for a piece of information that started running around the fan community. If it turns out to be untrue. So here I am sitting on this sitting, sitting ever so delicately on that email. I I'm sitting ever so delicately on that email. I just don't know what to do with it, but that's why um, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to see. All I'm going to say is, is that the email I have is not a good look for Ray Fisher. It's not a good look for Warner Brothers. It's not a great look for Joss Whedon either. Um, it's it's not a good look. And so here, here's the thing too. This is what I told to Rob because Rob is like, oh man, there's pros and cons. And, and I said this true. If I if I release this email, I paint a target on my back. And, and then, because I remember what happened when I released the information about Ben Affleck, I spent a year and a half getting slaughtered by people. I had people making videos about me. I mean, since I have my movie blog days, I have people making videos about me because apparently I'm that important to them. But, uh, but I had people making videos about how stupid what I was saying about, and I, I just, it just puts a target on your back. And I'm like, I don't know that I want to put a target on my back again, especially not over this. So I don't know. So I'm sitting on it for now. We'll see. We'll see. This may be the last you hear of it. Maybe Monday I decide to release it. Maybe if some of the stuff that's in this email comes out and becomes public knowledge, then I'm not the source anymore. Then maybe I can share some full, maybe then I can share the full email. But I, I just, uh, I don't know what to do with it right now. And, and maybe, you know, the person gets frustrated that I haven't released it. And maybe they reach out to another pundit and, and another pundit will release it. That may happen too. Uh, that might happen too. So I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, let's keep going here, shall we? Um, uh, do, do, do. Oh, so that was Desmond. Let's move on to Manny G who writes, I watched, uh, watched Man of Steel again and don't know why it gets a bad rap. Imagine a superhero movie directed by Snyder, co-written by Christopher Nolan, music by Hans Zimmer, starring Henry Cavill, uh, Amy Adams, Lauren Fishburne, Kevin Costner, one of my favorite movies. I love it, but make no mistake about it, uh, Christopher Nolan did not co-write <laughs> Christopher Nolan did not co-write uh, Man of Steel. Yeah, I love Man of Steel. I am the world's, other than maybe Zack Snyder himself or maybe Zack Snyder's mom, I am the world's biggest defender uh, and advocate for Man of Steel. You will never find anybody who is a bigger advocate for Man of Steel than me. You know this. I love that movie. But make no mistake about it. Uh, Christopher uh, Nolan was not a co-writer of the film. Now, Christopher Nolan gets a writing credit under the story by, but that really, really was, he was literally, I mean, we heard Zack Snyder has talked about this publicly. Nolan had very little to any, he got a credit in it, but he had no involvement in that really. So as much as I would love as the world's biggest defender of Man of Steel to boast Christopher Nolan was one of the writers, he was not. He, yeah, so make no mistake about that. He was not. All right, uh, next up, I'm Batman Writes. 
Sorry about the confusion, but I should have told you that when I reactivated my A-list account in August, they said if you do this and you want to cancel, you'll have to wait six months to sign back up. Oh, that's not an unusual thing. Uh, I think I remember that's a that's a thing that I think has been a part of A-list from the beginning. Like if you sign up and then cancel, you ha you can't sign up again for like six months. You can't sign up again for like six months. That's I think that's always been a thing with A-list. I think that's partly to prevent people from just trying to game the system, right? I think that's just trying them trying to say, oh, yeah, Avengers Endgame's coming out. I'm going to get A-list and go see Avengers Endgame 15 times in the first month and then cancel my A-list. Like, that's just taking advantage and trying to, and gaming the system. I think so. I think they put that in place to kind of protect themselves a little bit from that. But that's not a new thing. I believe that's been a rule that's been around ever since A-list was out. All right. Mr. TJ Lynn writes, I haven't seen uh, any movie in a while, but the other day I rewatched Ron Howard's masterpiece, Frost Nixon. Oh my gosh, with Michael Sheen. That's really good. Uh, what a brilliant movie with Frank Langella, Michael Sheen, Sam Rockwell, Kevin Bacon, Rebecca Hall. Michael Sheen is underappreciated. Michael Sheen is absolutely underappreciated. Michael Sheen is awesome. He's great. And I remember the funny thing is the first thing I really took notice of Michael Sheen was when he was in Underworld, when he was the werewolf leader in Underworld. I loved him in that, and I have loved him, and even when he was in Twilight, I even like him in Twilight. There I said it. I think Michael Sheen is great. You're absolutely 1,000% right, TJ. Michael Sheen is underappreciated. He really is. All right, Miguel Zayan writes, Hey, John, I'm currently watching Doom Patrol. Awesome. I just finished Danny Patrol. That's a crazy episode, man. Where they go, where they intro Karen and Danny the street. The show gets better and better. Uh, the pre previous episode, Therapy Patrol, is probably my favorite. Uh, issues weird with Admiral Whiskers. What's your favorite? Uh, thanks a lot, John. Um, first of all, Danny the street... For those of you who don't watch Doom Patrol, Danny is a sentient street. Yep, you heard it right. Danny is literally this living street where people live and work and you know all that kind of he's, he's a street. Danny the street. And he communicates through street signs and newspaper headlines. If you're there, it's like, hello, Danny. Hello, Professor, or whatever, right? Danny the Street is a terrific representation of how bonkers that show is, but they use Danny the Street as the vehicle to tell incredibly important, deep, issued-related uh, topics in the show that this is this show has become just notorious for me for being. You know, it, it just tack it's an incredibly gutsy and brave show. It tackles so many different things, and it's such a smart show, and my favorite episode is obviously, which takes place, I believe the episode takes place on Danny the Street, as a matter of fact, but my favorite episode is still I Flex the Wrong Muscle. Although, you know, there have been there were a couple of episodes this season, of this most recent season of season two, that really give it a run for its money. Mm. But yeah, if you haven't gotten on to Doom Patrol yet, take Miguel's advice and get on that, because it is really, really incredible. Um... Uh, where are we at here? Willow writes, well, it's been a number of months and you still haven't resorted to exotic dancing yet. Says who? How do you, how do you know? 
Maybe I have. And you still haven't resorted to exotic dancing yet due to lack of movie news. If the theaters do end up going under, however, do you have concerns about how that might affect your show? Yes. Yeah. I, here's the bigger thing. You know what? My, I'm planning to do my next thoughts on walks on this topic. Specifically about uh, the topic of why, and it's not really about my job, it's written to, but why the specter of losing movie theaters terrifies me. Because look, there will always be movies, right? Whether the movies are on Netflix, whether the movies are on Disney Plus, whether the movies are in theaters, there will always be movies. And because I also talk a little bit about TV, there's always going to be stuff we can do. But my next thoughts on walks is going to be specifically about why the notion, the specter, if you will, of losing movie theaters terrifies me. It, it absolutely terrifies me. Um, that'll be the subject of the next thoughts on walks. But yeah, would it have an effect on my show? Absolutely. But it would just mean my show would have to pivot. Because I still watch movies. Like, I'm still going to do all that stuff. Um, so, I'm not sure. I mean, honestly, maybe it's time for me to retire. I mean, I don't know. Um, but, but yeah, maybe it is. I mean, maybe... <laughs> Look, the reality of what's going to happen with my my little movie, which I will plug once again, uh, my little movie, uh, which I will shamelessly plug here one more time, and I'll, I'll bring up uh, I'll bring up the poster for it here. Um, the reality is, um, my little movie uh, movie trailer is a love story. Um, will will probably make me a couple thousand dollars uh, on Amazon and stuff like that. And that'll be in the end. But who knows? Maybe my movie makes me a million dollars and I can get to retire. I, I, but I don't know. I mean, the, the, I am amazed, to be honest with you, that I, I still have a show going right now. Like really, when you consider um, a lot of other channels are very much struggling right now. A, a lot of other ch channels like related to um, you know, what I do, you know, the, the movie world and stuff like that have really challenged and my channel's taken a bit of a hit, but nowhere near. Like if you told me in February, Hey John, we're about to enter a six month stretch where the theaters are closed and no new movies have come out. And you asked me where I thought my channel would be in six months. I would have said, well, it'd be gone. If you, if I, if you had asked me that in February, it'd be gone. And certainly we've taken a bit of a hit, but I, I'm shocked how well we've been able to weather this. And that's a testimony and a testament to how great our viewers are. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it will force the show to change. But there will always be those of us who love our stories and love talking about them. Whether those stories are on the movie screen, which is the best way for the movies to be, or whether we're getting those stories in a smaller screen situation. We'll always be that. So maybe I have to pivot or, or maybe I just, you know, go back into a more lucrative career that I've had opportunities to get into. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, and, you know, I make a lot of money on the weekends doing exotic dancing. I'll just have you know. Uh, yeah, lots of money. Lots of rolling in money. Literally rolling around in the exotic dancing money. That's what I'm doing. All right, next up. Uh, Gabriel writes, um, 
The already filmed All-Star Weekend, directed by Jamie Foxx, has an A-list cast, including Robert Downey Jr. as a Mexican, Benicio Del Toro as a tattoo artist, Gerard Butler, uh, Curry, LeBron. Uh, would a movie like this ever get released in this climate? Four years in post is weird. I, you know what? I, I am so disconnected from that. Like, I'm aware of the project you're talking about, but I've been so disconnected from it. Hold on a second. Let me just bring this up. Let's see. When was it filmed? Was it actually, has it been four years? Yeah, directed by by, uh, two buddies form a rivalry over their favorite American basketball player. So Robert Downey, Gerard Butler, Jamie Foxx, Benicio Del Toro, Eva Longoria, Jeremy Piven, um, DJ Khaled, uh, on and on and on. I don't know. I mean, if if this thing is actually actually shot four years ago, they better um, they better get it out soon before like Curry injures himself again. And he's no longer a player, and LeBron when maybe LeBron wins a title this year and retires. I don't know. So if they if they're gonna get it out, maybe they should. I'd be curious to know why. A movie like that, like how bad is this movie? Like you got Robert Downey Jr., Gerard Butler, Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx is the writer and director of it. And you got these big superstars coming in. What, what's wrong with this movie that it hasn't been released already? Has it actually been for? I mean, I'm not sure of that. But it was up. Yeah, it was updated September 2nd, 2017. It says it went into post-production in 2017. That's a good question. That's a good question. I have to look into that more. That that is a great one to bring up, Gabriel. I have to look into that one more. All right, Gabriel also writes one of two. I'm a fan of Joss Whedon, but I can't help but feel like the last couple of years have not been kind to him. When he left Marvel, I think I think is not an exaggeration to say that he could have made any movie he wanted. Since then, he has only worked on Justice League. No, that's not true. Uh, worst of all, he has been involved in what may be called tabloid rumors. Recent of which is the Ray Fisher. Uh, situation. Whedon doesn't need to work another day in his life uh, for him to be in the Hollywood Hall of Fame. But what do you think of his career path? Well, honestly, look, when he was done with um, when he was done with uh, the Avengers stuff, I sat down and talked with Joss Whedon at a press uh, at a press event. And after Avengers Age of Ultron, I kid, I, you can go back and listen to my old stuff, like back in the movie or back in uh, the AMC days. He was a man who was destroyed. I mean, it it had it had wrecked him. Doing those two Avengers movies, while he loved it, it wrecked him. Like he was like, he looked like an energy vampire from what we do in the shadows had been feeding on him for months. He was just he wasn't there. He was gone, right? And so when he decided to take a bit of a break, nobody was surprised. And then the next thing he did after that was a little passion project of his that was fantastic, by the way. I loved it. He did this little passion project with a bunch of the cast who who he had worked with over the years called, it was the the Shakespearean thing, the Much Ado About Nothing, right? He just a little passion project he did. And that's what he did after that. Listen to the people he had who came and did it. Amy Aker, who I love Amy Aker. Um, Nathan Fillion, Clark Gregg, 
Uh, but a lot of iconic people that you will recognize who have worked with Josh in the Josh in the past, right? And he made this little much ado about nothing, and I really enjoyed it. It was really good. Now what he's doing, he's actually working with uh, Warner Brothers right now. He's working with Warner Brothers right now on this series called The Nevers, this new HBO series called The Nevers, uh, an epic tale following a gang of Victorian women who find themselves with unusual abilities, relentless enemies, and a mission that might change the world. I mean, that's kind of the... the uh, the uh, the elevator pitch of it, but he's working with Warner Brothers and HBO right now to get that series out. So that's what's going on with him right now. But yeah, I, I am not surprised at all that he decided because you're right. He made all the money in the world uh, with uh, Avengers. He made all the money in the world and he was just like, I'm, I'm going to take a break. He made that little project film with friends of his and uh, and then he, he made that movie and then he's like, I'm checking out. And then he decided to come back, and now he's got this uh, thing with HBO. He wants to jump on the HBO, Disney Plus, Netflix train, I suppose. And this series sounds pretty good, and they're already well into development on it. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes from there. But yeah, I think you answered the question yourself. I think he found himself in a position where he had done everything he wanted to do. He made all the money in the world. He basically really put the MCU. I mean, he, he took these individual films, which were great. And then he had the task of really creating the blueprint of what the MCU was going to be with Avengers uh, and made it like the biggest hit of all time at the time. Um, and uh, and then he's just like, I'm done. I'm done. As a matter of fact, he didn't even come back and do anything Marvel related for a long time. It took a couple of years before he started showing up again to all the Marvel events. So, you know, we saw him on that big Marvel director's round table and he I would see him now start to show up at the premieres and things like that. But he just kind of stepped away from everything for a while. Um, and uh, and yeah, so we'll see where things go. It's just interesting that he's working still with Warner Brothers. He's still working with Warner Brothers on this HBO thing. It's going to be interesting to see where that goes and, and how that sort of evolves. Um, OK, um, let's see here. Uh, okay. Next up, um, is F Stormfront writes a couple films I missed that are unwatchable Holmes and Watson. Yep. Uh, chips. Oh, chips was so bad. It was so bad. I couldn't believe how, and I like a number of the people in that movie and it's so bad. Emoji movie. Terrible. Grownups too. Terrible. A thousand words. Terrible. Rise of Skywalker. I wouldn't put on those levels, but truly a terrible movie. Nonetheless. Um, uh, PS BAPS is about Halle Berry and her friend moving to LA. Oh yeah. I, I didn't, I don't think I saw that movie, but I know the movie you're talking about. I know the movie. I think that was, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm thinking of the right movie, I think BAPS was another one of those films that got shot and then kind of sat in a can for like years before it saw, before it saw the light of day. I, I might not be thinking, I might be attaching the wrong story to the wrong project, but I think that's what it was. I think BAPS was another one of those. That's another good set of lists there, Stormfront. All right. Morris Codes writes. After the talk about the future of the John Campy show yesterday, I was wondering if you've talked to Aaron about preparing her own setup for when you move to Seattle. Also, how are you going to deal with without having Mr. Bishop at your toes? Yeah, little Joey. But I love it when Aaron comes over here because normally uh, I don't know why Joey gets all excited when when she sees me. Uh, and so and then when we come up here, 
to the show, she always lays at my feet. She'll just lay at at my feet. Normally just put her head down on one of my feet. And sometimes she'll lick my feet. I don't know why. Um, I don't think I'm moving to Seattle anymore. I I mentioned this the other day, you know, Ann and I were going to move to Seattle because she took a job with, uh, with Amazon. She's got that big job with Amazon now and they were going to move her to Seattle, but then the pandemic hit and then they were like, okay, you can work from home until like October. And then it was like, oh, you can work at home through 2021. So honestly, it doesn't look like we're moving anymore. I mean, we may move out of Burbank, but I think we're going to stay in the Southern California. I think we're going to stay in the LA basically area, uh, a little more extended, but yeah, probably we'll stay within an hour or so of LA. So we may move, but it won't be far. So I don't think we're moving to Seattle anymore. So yeah, I mean, I made a big deal. We're all, we were going to move to Seattle, blah, blah, blah. Pandemic hit, changed everything. And now it doesn't look like we're moving to Seattle. All right, next up. Uh, DGD writes, Hey John, I'm a huge fan from Georgia. Uh, the country of Georgia. Thank God. Oh, from Atlanta. I love Atlanta. Okay. From the country of Georgia. I'm graduating from medical school. Again, another person who's clearly smarter than me. Uh, but I know movies slash TV is my true life's passion. Do you have any tips on how I can get started in the movie industry? Um, I don't know what uni means. Um, internship, online courses, stay safe. Well, listen, it's, it's funny to ask me that. And a lot of people do ask me, how do I get started in the film industry? The reality is, how would I know? (laughs) I'm not in the film industry. I work in an industry associated with the film industry, but I don't work in the industry. Like I don't work with Warner brothers other than from a PR point of view. I work with Warner brothers. I work with Warner brothers, publicists. I work with Warner brothers, PR people. I don't work with Warner brothers, producers or whatever. Right. But John, you've written and directed your own movies. Yes. My own movies. (laughs) I've written and directed and done my own movies, but I would love to tell you that, yes, I know how for you to get into the film industry. The reality is I really don't. So the best thing I know how to do is the best advice always given in getting into any career. Don't approach the movie business any different than you would approach any other business. Like if you want to get into the dental business, you got to go to medical school. You got to get a a dental degree. You have to learn that stuff and do that stuff. If you want to get into becoming somebody who wrote in a little bit earlier as an architect, you want to get into that? Well, then you know what you need to do to get into architecture. Entertainment seems to be the thing that everybody just wants. I'm not saying you're saying this, D. I'm not not accusing you of this, but I'm finding what a lot of people do. They look at the entertainment industry as if it's just completely different, that you don't actually have to work to get into it. What's the secret? Who? What? What? Where? Where? What website do I need to visit and fill out something, and then I get to be in the movie industry? That's what most people want. They just want. How do I just get into it like that? They don't want to work. They don't want to go to film school. They don't want to work tirelessly for no money as a PA on productions and a thankless job for a couple of years to make some connections and to get new skills. They just want to. They want. They want, uh, what's the name of that uh, show? Uh, uh, not America's Got Talent, but uh, uh, what's the singing show? The singing show, not The Voice, the one before that. The one Kelly Clarkson won. Who cares? Uh, people want that. 
People want that. I, I just want to show up somewhere and, and, and do something and maybe get lucky and get a career. Honestly, so the best thing, uh, American Idol, thank you, Yellow Flash. And thank you, Matthew. I'm putting in American Idol in the live chat there. Um, people, that's what people want. People see that show and they think, oh, that's what it is to become a celebrity now. So honestly, D, the, I think it's great you want to get into that. But the best thing to do is the same you would for any profession that people would want to get into. Study it. Go to school for it. But John, I heard about this one guy who did who did it without. Okay, yeah, there are exceptions. There are exceptions, but that's not hoping you get the one in a million lucky strike that it just happens to fall into your lap. That's not a good strategy. The best strategy is do the things you need to do to put yourself in a position where you can get lucky. Do the things you need to do where you put yourself in a position to succeed. Now, whether you succeed or not, there's going to be some luck involved there, but at least do everything you can do. So I, I would say study it, figure out a way to go to film school, uh, do all that kind of stuff. If you are serious about it, then do the things a serious person would do. So uh, other than that, though, I'm, I I like to pretend like I am the all-knowing guru about the film. Industry. I'm not. I, 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 don't know, I don't know how for, for an actor to get into acting. Other than go and study acting. You know what I mean? So there's that. Thanks for writing in, D. And I hope, first of all, congrats on your med school degree, man. That is no small task. You clearly know hard work. You clearly know hard work. And uh, I hopefully, you know, you'll get some clarity in which direction you want to go. Good on you, man. All right. Dumbledore Calrissian writes, um, Hey, John. It had been years since I had seen When Harry Met Sally, but I remember thinking it was great. I showed it to my wife last night. What a truly, it is, it is wonderful. Meg Ryan, Billy Crystal, it's so good. Uh, what a truly wonderful film. Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal are absolutely hysterical. I genuinely love this movie. It is considered one of the great classics. When you talk about romantic comedies, if, if you had to put together like the, the pantheon of like the 10 greatest rom-coms, the 10 greatest romantic comedies. How does When Harry Met Sally not end up on that list, right? It is truly great. Now, when everybody thinks about it, everybody thinks of the big Meg Ryan scene, you know, doing the fake orgasm in a restaurant. Yes, yes, I'll have what she's having. You know, that's, everybody thinks of that. But the movie as a whole, it's hilarious. It's sweet. It's just, uh, it's great. And it reminds you of when, you know, we truly lived in the Meg Ryan era back then. But it is a really good one. That's a good one. Good on you, Dumbledore. Nicely that you mentioned that. An anonymous viewer writes, I know it may be a bit overplayed at this point, but what are the chances that the new Blade movie makes a crack at Twilight? Oh, and probably likely. I mean, it's easy to do a Twilight joke. And the way the MCU's humor is, which is very culturally aware, the MCU humor is always very pop culturally aware. I would not doubt at all that somebody cracks some kind of Twilight joke Joke once you get a vampire. Hell, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a Twilight joke in Morbius. I, and, now, and I guess that could play into it. If there's a Twilight joke in Morbius, then I expect you won't see one in Blade. If, uh, if they do a Twilight joke in Morbius, you won't see one in Blade. If there's not a Twilight joke in Morbius... I would expect some kind of joke about Twilight in Blade. We'll have to. It, so it all depends on Morbius. All right. Ryan Loner writes, I remember when Hillary Swank was in that Karate Kid spinoff movie. Yes, she was. I'm kind of holding out hope she shows up in Cobra Kai at some point. I'd be interesting. Anne told me, actually, again, I don't like Cobra Kai. I don't think the show's very good, but I'm in the minority of that. My wife loves it. And I know a lot of people really do like it, and that's great. Um, but my wife was telling me that they, they've been mentioning more and more um, 
Oh, hell, let me bring this up here. They've been mentioning more and more the um, Elizabeth Shue character. What was her name again? Allie. Anne's been telling me they've been mentioning Allie more and more in the show. And now that Elizabeth Shue is done with um, the boys, maybe you'll see Elizabeth Shue pop up in season three of Cobra Kai. I'm not saying I have any inside information. I don't. Um, can they get Hillary Swank in there? I don't know. It's possible. She's got that new series on Netflix called, I think it's called Away that everybody's talking about. I got to start watching that. That's, that's on my queue. I've got to watch Away. Ann and I both really want to watch that. Uh, so that one could be coming out. So I don't know. Uh, I think you'll see, my guess would be you'll see Elizabeth Shue before they see, uh, before you see Hillary Swank. But hey, nothing's impossible at this point. It's a popular Netflix show. Anybody could be. And Hillary Swank is working with Netflix right now with Away. So maybe, maybe. Uh, Preston the Kryptonian writes, John, did you see that poster that was put up at Disneyland of a fan doing the Black Panther salute to Chadwick Boseman who's saluting back? Perhaps the best tribute to Chadwick I've seen. It's a mural, actually. Uh, let me see if I can bring this up here. For, for those who haven't seen it, um, let me see if I can find it here. There it is. There it is. It's beautiful. Um, let me bring it up. So apparently this mural was just unveiled at uh, downtown. I believe it's downtown Disney, which is at Disneyland. Uh, Disneyland honors. So, so downtown Disney is this area just outside of Disneyland that the public can just go to. I lo actually, I love hanging out in downtown Disney. I do. And then you can go into Disneyland from there, but I believe they, they just unveiled this mural. Um, there's a bigger look at it of Chadwick Boseman with this little black Panther fan. Listen, this is this picture, this, this mural they just unveiled to me speaks to why I 1000% believe that Marvel should carry on with T'Challa. You carry on this legacy that Chadwick Boseman established. It's a, it's a picture like this that makes you truly understand how important this character is to, to, to people everywhere. I mean, that's adorable. And I, and I think this speaks to why I 1000% believe that this character T'Challa, who became so symbolic and so important to so many tens, if not hundreds of millions of people around the world, why you must carry on that legacy. You must carry on this legacy. Chadwick Boseman made this character far too important to just let the character go because he himself can't be the one to carry it on right now. I think you honor Chadwick Boseman and you honor the people who love this character by carrying on that legacy. And I think, and this, this mural to me completely speaks to that. Uh, what a special, special image that is. And I cannot wait to go to downtown Disney uh, which is open. Downtown Disney is open. I cannot wait to go to Downtown Disney and see this mural for myself. It's it's a real special one. It's a really special one. Uh, anyway, thanks for writing that in. All right. Uh, let's see. What's next? Alan Dale writes, one of two. Release the MCU to save the MCU and theaters. Uh, at Cineworld, there's hardly anything playing right now. So why doesn't Marvel re-release the MCU? They could start with two films, then every three weeks drop the older film and roll out the next one. 
Um, well, let's keep going here. Uh, so that there's always two films playing at any one time. A lot of the younger viewers didn't catch them the first time around, so it also helped the theaters to make money, especially with school holidays in a few weeks. Your thoughts? I simply don't know that a lot of people would rush out to see the MCU films right now, other than maybe Endgame or something like that. The reason being is this. Because believe me, if Disney thought this would make them money and Disney thought this would help the movie theaters, Disney would do it. Disney's all about money, man. They're all about the money. If they think something will make them money, they'll do it. I think the problem is, unlike movies like, say, Empire Strikes Back or Lord of the Rings or Godfather or Back to the Future, you're talking about a lot of these movies that have that are culturally have stood the test of time, but there's entire generations of film fans that have never had the chance to see it on the big screen. Are there some people out there who haven't had a chance ever to see, you know, Thor, the dark world on the big screen? Sure. But not most people. Most people who are interested in Thor, the dark world have seen it on the big screen already. Right. Most people who care about Iron Man one, have seen it on the big screen. Now there, there's, there are people out there who were too young at the time and now would care, but that's only a fragment of the population. Plus, I mean, they've been probably watched these movies. People who are real hardcore fans of the MCU have probably watched these movies a hundred times already. So I can see why it's, it's not really seen as something they should do. Um, you could honestly and legitimately ask the question, what's the harm? True, but I think Disney doesn't want to put out something and then have it not do well and attach, you know, failure to something. I mean, they, they want to protect the IP as well. So let's put it this way, though, Alan. They release like the MCU library in theaters. I'm going back to the movies to watch them on the big screen again. I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to watch them on the big screen again. I'm going back to watch, you know, Ant-Man 1 and Captain America, the first Avenger and Captain Marvel and, and you know, Iron Man 1. I'm going back to watch them for sure. But I, I think you and I are the minority. I think you and I are the minority on that. But we'll see. But again, if Disney actually thought they could make money and it would be successful, they would do it in a heartbeat because all they care about is money. All right. Alan Dale also follows up and writes, P.S. This would also help Black Widow and the Disney Plus shows if they show the ads for these uh, PPS DC could also do the same. I'm not sure that that's true at all. Anybody who because here's the argument to be made. Anybody who, who would actually go back to the theater to watch an MCU movie, those people are already planning on watching black widow, right? I mean, who's going back to the theater to watch captain America civil war that isn't also planning on watching Black Widow. Like anybody who would who would pack up, buy a movie ticket to rush out to watch Ant-Man 2 in the theaters, they're already planning on watching, you know, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. And they're already planning on watching Black Widow. So I don't know that there's a lot of benefit. It's, it's the whole preaching to the choir thing, right? It's preaching to the choir. You know, the choir are already... You know, they're already saved. They're already, you know, in the church. There's no point in preaching to them. Uh, and that's kind of the, I think that's that's one of the things holding them up. I think that's one of the things holding that up. But you never know. You never know. All right. Next up, Sam writes, one of three. Have you ever liked a movie, 
but over time disliked or thought about it differently after a few discussions about it. I discussed the 40-year-old virgin last night with my brother and thought objectively nothing was really wrong uh, with Andy. He had a job, paid his rent, and had a hobby he enjoyed. Ultimately, by meeting his friends, one, uh, one in which cheats on his wife, one who is a stoner, and one who is an obsessed freak, all in whom pressure him, strip away his identity, and make him to be someone else for the sake of getting laid. To be honest, I never looked at that movie that way, but it didn't take, me, take away my enjoyment necessarily, but it did make me look at it through his perspective, which I kind of understood. Here's the thing, Sam. To me, the br- one of the brilliant things about 40-Year-Old Virgin is that the movie itself, this is why one of the reasons why 40-Year-Old Virgin is my all-time favorite comedy, because the movie itself makes the case that there is nothing wrong with Andy, you know, that you have all these different societal pressures, including from this new circle of friends he has that makes him feel like there's something wrong with him because he was a 40-year-old virgin, when in reality, the movie paints a pretty clear picture. This is a dude who's got his life together a lot better than all these other guys, even though all these other guys are getting sex, right? And to me, the movie is about a journey of Andy, first of all, discovering, you know, uh, not discovering, but First, it's he is who he is. He's basically happy with his life. And I mean, yes, he would like to have had sex, but he's happy with his life. He's actually got his shit together. He's a responsible dude. And then gets to made he gets made to feel by society's whole, because you know that whole that whole um segue, that that whole montage of him walking down the street and seeing the the ads on the buses and the magazines and seeing women with low cuts. And then it just makes him more and more aware of the fact that he's a virgin. And then he gets these friends who make him feel so he starts to change his behavior. But at the end of the day, what does the movie show? At the end of the day, the movie shows that he realizes, no, that's not what's necessary. Me being me is what's necessary. That's when he rejects all the stuff that everybody was putting on him, that he actually ends up with the woman that he loves. And to me, that's the brilliance of 40-year-old virgin, was that the movie itself says, he's a dude who's got his shit together, he just has this one hurdle he needs to get over. And he gets a lot of bad advice that represents different points of view that society has about sex and relationship. And he realizes through the course of the movie that he didn't need to listen to any of that. He just really needed to be himself because he who he was was good enough and he ends up with the woman of his dreams, right? And so so everything that you're describing to me, Sam, is actually part of the reason why I think the movie is so brilliant and why, why I like that movie so much. But that's just me. But thank you for giving me an excuse to talk about my all-time favorite comedy, 40-Year-Old Virgin. All right, next up, uh, Kim Campo writes, Greetings from Australia. I got to visit Australia someday. My mom just retired after 41 years of teaching. God bless her. And John is someone who has had a mother and sister who are teachers. There is huge respect problem out there in society. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I've known that since I was a kid. That I see like teachers in a, in a number of countries, teachers are honored. In this country? And it's not just US, it's Canada too. Even in Canada. And you know, Canada, everything's perfect. But you know, one of our problems in Canada is that Teachers don't get enough respect. And uh, and I knew that as a kid. I knew as a kid teachers don't get enough respect. 
Absolutely 1000%. So God bless your mom, King Campa, and God bless your sister. So thank them for me for being teachers, dude. Uh, and congrats on living in Australia. I got to visit there someday. All right. Patrick Conway writes, Kung Fu Panda 1 and 2 are crazy underrated. Their movies, in my opinion, are, are nothing less than incredible from visual action, scores, and dialogue. They are crazy dark, like they deal with death, genocide, uh, identity, and more also the action is pretty brutal. You know, one of the things that I've always said about Kung Fu Panda, and it's weird to say this admittedly about an animated property, the cinematography of it. I talk about this as well when I talk about Zack Snyder's uh, Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gaul. I believe that's how you pronounce it. I talk about this the same about Kung Fu Panda in that movie. The cinematography. And I know that's weird to talk about cinematography when talking about animated stuff. But is so good. In, in the in the case of Owls of Ghoul, just the way that they do the virtual camera around the the aerial stuff with the with the birds flying and and the owls, flying, it's just it's beautiful and gorgeous. When you get into the Kung Fu Panda stuff, the action sequences are beautifully done, like absolutely beautifully done. So I I'm with you on that, Patrick. I, I'm with you. I like, pardon me. Don't get me wrong. I don't think I don't personally think like. The Kung Fu Panda movies are amongst the best animated films of all time, but they're really good. And one of the things that makes them so good is the, again, the visual sense of it. It's just gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. All right. Ryan Loner writes, I suggest Ron Howard put up a sign at auditions for the Ling Ling movie. If you are Scarlett Johansson, please leave. <laughs> that's, that's a little pun making of two separate individual news stories that have come into revolve around this. Not a bad suggestion, Ryan. All right. Charlie Uptown writes. Hey, John, big supporter from New York City. Well, thank you so much, man. I've commented before under Uptown uh, Movie Blog as an homage to you, good sir. Oh, thank you for that. And also as Uptown Geek. Henceforward, I will be using my professional name, Charlie Uptown. Well, thank you so much. You know, I, uh, I remember my last visit to New York City, which I spent the entire time basically in Times Square. This is back when I was still working with Collider. And of course, Collider was owned by Complex. And... Complex every year. And I enjoyed working with Complex, actually. I, I, I did enjoy working with Complex. They had some really nice executives there. Um, and I, I kind of, I was proud to be associated with Complex. Let's put it that way. Um, but for some reason, they have this annual, like, uh, not convention, but this annual, I guess convention where they bring all people involved with complex together in New York and do a couple of days of rah, rah seminars and, and keynote speakers and you know, all that kind of stuff. It was kind of fun. Why I had to travel to New York for three days and they had to spend thousands of dollars to fly me there and put me in. I have no idea why it was kind of a waste of time, but whatever. But I remember at least on that visit, I had a great opportunity. We did a little meetup, a meet and greet, like a last second. We just, Jumped on social media and said, hey, guys, because, you know, Harloff was there with me, too, and Dennis was there. And we got on there and just basically said, hey, we're going to be hanging out in this hotel lobby this night. And a whole bunch of people from New York, I don't know if you were one of them, but a lot of our viewers came, just came in at the last second, last minute. We put this up with, like, with a few hours notice. And a bunch of you guys came down and met. And that was a great night. That was a really great night. So thank you for sharing that, uh, Charlie. And let's get to your second part here. Uh, Aaron made some really good points on yesterday's show for the Snyder Cut reshoots. I am curious to know, how did the cinematography, dialogue, and special effects hold up for New Mutants, being that it was shot years ago? Um, 
I no, I think it was perfectly fine. Yeah, the listen, it's not like the 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 movie industry has not gone through a major metamorphosis in just the last couple of years since New Mutants was shot. What you could tell from New Mutants was this was definitely a low budget horror kind of movie. I mean, you can definitely tell that. Like there's no extras in the movie. I mean, it's just, it's the, the five key characters. That's it. That's pretty much it for the entire movie on one location, very low budget. Um, again, I didn't think new mutants was all that bad, but where the movie really suffered was poor characters. But as far as things like dialogue, the dialogue was bad, but that's bad regardless of the era. Cinematography was fine. Special effects were fine, even though it was low budget. Uh, all that kind of stuff was fine. The problems with the movie kind of really laid with the characters themselves. Not a bad story, not a bad premise, but the characters themselves made it, made it difficult, Charlie. All right. Charlie also writes, uh, I was truly excited to see Tenet. However, the word on the streets is that the audio mix is mind boggling. With that being said, I know the pandemic is the key factor, but could this be a, a, a contributor to its slow box office returns as well? No, I no, I've said that before myself, Charlie. I think that, yes, the pandemic is absolutely 90 percent of the reason you're seeing much slower box office performance from tenant than you would if we were living in a non-pandemic era. But I also believe maybe 10% of it is the fault of the fact that you're getting some mixed word of mouth that, you know, and a lot of that has to do with the sound mix. Couldn't understand what's being said. Some people thought the, the, the movie was too convoluted and too difficult to follow. Of course, that's a problem that's compounded by the fact that how can you follow a movie when you can't understand everything that's being said even though there are some scenes that you're not meant to understand what's being said, the problem is still there were scenes you're supposed to be able to understand what's being said. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I think that is absolutely a part of the problem. I think that is part of the problem. All right. Uh, Hadrian Lear writes, Hey there, John, been watching you uh, most days in the UK since the AMC days. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Hadrian. I appreciate that if I'm pronouncing the, the, your name correctly. Uh, just been re-watching old movies and came about the Omen, the Omen movies, Omen, Damien, Omen 2, and the final conflict. I don't remember the final conflict. Uh, what's your thoughts on a studio rebooting this franchise? Never know Netflix. I think, listen, I am all for, I think the Omen is actually a great example of a franchise that is primed to be rebooted. I, I think that's a great example. I think you can tell that story in a more modern context with modern techniques. And I think it could benefit from that. doesn't guarantee it'll be good because you know, every movie that gets made, there's a low chance it's going to be good. That's listen, we do not appreciate enough how hard it is to make a good movie. And so when we come across good movies, we really need to celebrate it. <laughs> we really need to celebrate. Most movies don't turn out to be very good. All right. Most movies don't turn out to be very good. So maybe these wouldn't either. But I think The Omen is one that is prime and, and, in, and in good position to do it if you were to do something like that. And yeah, it could be a streaming route, but honestly, I would I would see that theatrically myself. So I, I think it's one of those franchises that would be well-primed to do it, dude. I really do. Excellent question. Thanks for bringing that up. All right. Only got a few minutes left here, guys. Casey McNatt writes, 
Uh, hey, John, how's your day going? My day is going well. Thank you very much. Uh, just wondering if you've seen the trailers for both The Haunting of Bly Manor. I have. It was a pretty good trailer, actually. Uh, when the little kid turns around, shh. I, that was funny. I like that moment. Uh, and the trailer for Hellstrom uh, from Hulu yet. Was a big fan of Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor looks like it will be another fun ride. So, yes, I thought the trailer for Bly Manor was really good. Because I, I didn't really get into The Haunting of Hill House. My my wife loved it. I only watched a couple of episodes. Uh, I didn't dislike it, though. Don't get me wrong. I didn't dislike it. It's not like Cobra Kai that I actually disliked. Uh, I didn't dislike Hill House. I just never really got hooked onto it. Maybe if I watched it through, I'll enjoy it a lot more. But the trailer for Bly Manor, I'm with you. I thought it was great. I, I thought it was great. It, it made me smile. You know what? I haven't seen the new trailer for Hellstrom yet. I watched the original teaser that came out forever ago, but I have not yet gotten around to watching the new spot for Hellstrom. And I need to do that. So thank you for reminding me of that. Uh, I will get around to that. Maybe we'll make that a topic of Monday's show once Rob, when Rob is back, because I, I know he's seen it. So I haven't seen that one yet. I will. But as far as Bly Manor goes, I thought it was a really good trailer. I thought it was a really good spot. All right. Uh, continuing on, Mischievous Gremlin, uh, who I guess is also Casey McNair, right? Hellstrom is the last Marvel show Hulu will likely make, so I'm not expecting much from it, but it actually looks good. But there is probably a chance it might not get renewed for a second season, so I don't know if I should get invested or not. I can guarantee you it won't get renewed for a second season because of exactly what you've pointed out. That division that made that those shows are no longer exist. The people in charge who were responsible for those shows no longer exist. All that is now under Kevin Feige. And Kevin Feige is only about the stuff that Kevin Feige brings into existence. He's not about trying to adopt somebody else's stuff and make it into something. That's why you're not going to see Charlie Cox back as Daredevil. Uh, is because Kevin Feige wants his own iterations. And this has worked for him. And there's a good reason for that. He wants his own iterations. He wants his own. Um, he wants his own stamp on it. Um, and so, moving forward, yeah, I, I don't expect we're going to see. That doesn't mean that this show may not be awesome, though. Like the the Hulu eh, lock. What was that one with the the girl and the guy? Was that lock and key? No, that wasn't lock and key. What was the name of the one? You know, with the white kid, the white uh, girl and the black and the black dude. And well, anyway, and it was on Hulu. It was Cloak and Dagger. Thank you. Thank you, Cole. Cole, the Cloak and Dagger. Yeah, that wasn't so good. But Runaways was fantastic. So I think there's a good chance that Hellstrom, but just look at it like a limited series. Right. Go into it and look at it like this is a limited series. Don't look at it as, as season one of a TV show. Look at it as a limited series because it could turn out to be great. But I I, I suspect you're not going to see a sequel though, or, or, or a second season. I think you're right about that. I, I think it's a very low chance we get a second season. All right. Jordan, Jordan I should say, McIntyre writes, hi from Australia, John. Hello, Jordan. Uh, again, kind of jealous you're in Australia. I live in South Australia, and unfortunately, they closed my local IMAX when I was a kid, so I never got to experience it. Sydney, which is a two-hour flight from me, has the biggest IMAX screen in the world. Would it be worth the flight? Mm, I don't know. Like, I is it worth checking out an IMAX? Yes. Is it worth a two-hour flight to go see an IMAX? 
I don't know about that. Like, honestly, IMAX, I like IMAX. It's certainly better than a regular screen, but I, like, it's not even my favorite theaters. Like, I like Dolby Prime, personally. I, li I like the Dolby Theater Primes. Um, but I wouldn't fly two hours to go to a Dolby Prime cinema either. So, I, hmm, I, it depends on who you ask, Jordan. But honestly, my opinion is no. I mean, hey, if you're going out to Sydney anyway, yeah, take advantage of it while you're out there. Go check out a movie on the world's largest IMAX screen. Absolutely. Would I say... Book a day off work, spend $500 for a round trip flight to Sydney and back home, and maybe have to spend money on a hotel room for the night just so you could see a movie on that screen. Different people will give you different answers. Me, I'd probably say no. I, I, I would probably say no to that. All right. David T. writes, Hey, John, I noticed that Tenet might be coming to physical media in mid-December, and usually there is a digital release made available for purchase two weeks prior. So if a December 1st date is confirmed for digital, would that hurt future theatrical earnings? Yeah, it would. Um, I haven't seen that. But I mean, listen, they can remember Tenet came out, got its release. That means they have to abide by the theatrical window. By the time you get into mid to late December, that theatrical window is they're, they're now free to go ahead and do physical release. And if the financials of tenant in theaters continues to really slow down and it doesn't look like it's going to get to 450 million, or whatever, then there's no reason to delay it anymore and put it out on streaming and on physical release. So it'll be up to them. But without other movies coming to theaters, it's going to make it difficult. So, but yes, if if people now, the movie's already been out in, in theaters for three months and somebody hasn't gone to see it now, and now they have the option to stream it when it's in theater, it, it would hurt it. Yeah, it would. So I, I don't know why they wouldn't do that, to be honest with you. I, I don't know why when December comes along, unless we see Tenet's theatrical take, take a major uptick, I don't know why they would wait after December to put it out in streaming. At that point, it's made its money. Probably it's going to come in around $350 million is my guess. So they've made that money. Now it's time to move on to the next phase. So that's my guess, but we'll see what happens. All right. Andrew Nathan writes, part one. Um, hey, John. Funny how yesterday you and Aaron talked about doing a show about tweets. I know that was just a joke, but my question is, did you see the tweet that uh, Raul Coley put out about the possibility of playing Ezra Bridger in Mandalorian season two. I know not to look in, uh, look uh, too much into it, but I find it intriguing because with the possibility of Ahsoka in Mandalorian two, you have to think they'll finally bring Ezra back into the fold sometime. Real tweets are probably one big troll anyway. I haven't heard about those tweets um, at all, but I will say this. There has been rumors there have been whispers that you might see Ezra in Mandalorian season two, but keep this in mind. This is not rebels, the live action show. I'm convinced that when we meet Ahsoka, it's going to be probably for one episode. Um, and if they do Ezra, which we don't know. There's, I haven't seen any concrete proof to suggest that Ezra's going to be there, but there have been whispers. If Ezra does make an appearance, because listen, if they could keep Baby Yoda a secret before releasing Mandalorian Season 1, they could keep Ezra a secret, uh, an Ezra cameo a secret for Season 2. But if he does, it'll probably be for like an appearance, 
and then gone. Because they're not going to turn Mandalorian into Rebels, the live action show. Uh, and I'm a fan of Rebels. You know, I'm one of these rare people that I didn't like the Clone Wars animated series, but I liked Rebels. Take that for what you will. Um, so, but it's possible. Yeah, yeah. I like, Let's put it this way. I'm not going to fall over in shock if we see an Ezra Miller. Uh, Ezra Miller. <laughs> Ezra Bridger. Don't be surprised if Ezra Miller pops up. He finds a female stormtrooper, chokes her out. Yeah, I, yeah. That would be a totally different thing. Uh, Ezra Bridger. I would not be completely uh, shocked to find out that Ezra uh, Bridger does make an appearance in the show. Uh, again, if it is, it's probably going to be short. It's probably going to be less than like half an episode come and gone. But um, but I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Is it likely? I don't think it's likely. But I won't be surprised if he does pop up. I won't be surprised if he does pop up. All right, guys, listen. There's a few more questions to go from Ryan Holman, uh, Trevor testing, uh, Richard Z and on. Uh, but my throat honestly is, is pretty dead right now. My throat is dead and we've gone over two hours. So we're going to call off the show at this point, but do not worry guys when we do uh, open mic and we're not doing open mic tomorrow. We're going to do open mic on Sunday this weekend. So this weekend open mic will be on Sunday. When we do open mic on Sunday, we will uh, spend the first couple of minutes by getting through the remaining questions. We got through most of today's questions though. So I'm pretty happy about that but we will start off um uh we will start off on sunday with these leftover questions and we will get through those first so if you sent in those questions don't worry they're not getting missed we'll get to them first on sunday my throat really is hurting anyway guys that will do it for today's installment of the john campus show guys congratulations again for making it through to the end of another week i hope you guys have a fantastic weekend planned ahead for yourselves i know i do i hope you guys do as well and please guys remember do the important things stay smart stay safe take care of yourselves take care of the people around you one more time if you have not done so already please make sure to subscribe to the to the youtube channel it'll keep you up to date on everything that we got going on here just go on over there and give it a quick little click and uh see what we're doing here and guys that will do it for me thanks a lot for being here my name is john campia and until next time my friends bye bye